0: listeners, welcome back to Hussman FC episode 2 of this new Lost Impostulation series. I am joined by somebody who, he may never have been to Norway, but he is ice cold from the penalty spot. It's Roy Cykli back again for another recording.
1: Hello, hello. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. How are you doing? Doing, doing great, doing great. A little stressful. Heart rates
0: down after the Arsenal match, but aside I from noticed, that, I based on our text thread, good. I was texting you because Milan was playing at the same time, up to zero. I was quite relaxed, not paying much attention anymore, and I was texting you. I was like, "How's it going over there at Sellers Park?" And you were just giving me like one-word answers. I couldn't, I couldn't multitask. I,
1: I was having a good watch, very enjoyable until the yellow card from Tamiyasu and then the second yellow card which came <laughs> right. a few minutes later um, and changed the changed the aspect of the game completely and I went from very relaxed going to enjoy my afternoon to pacing my living room and you know celebrating every time-wasting clearance that we had for the last 20 minutes so that's the beauty of the league so two games in two wins I can't complain
0: Let's go for three. You've got to now, right? I mean, you went on the record last week. Lest I remind all our listeners that the arsenal is going to go all the way, whatever that means. All the way, we're we're going to do it. You're going to play all 38
1: matches, right? Invincibles part two. Love it. No, love no, it. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go that far. But um, I will say, just real quick, a little rant or a rot. I've been watching a lot of Premier League this season with the new rules on time wasting. I'm all for, you know, teams not being able to sit sit back and, you know, the goalkeeper puts the ball down, mm-hmm. goes to kick it, but then he decides he needs to move it to the other side of the of the goal. Just whenever they're trying to preserve a lead or a draw, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that does ruin some of the aspects of the game, in my opinion. But the new the new rules this season, um, you've been seeing a lot of players outside, that, especially fullbacks, picking up yellow cards for. Waiting longer than six seconds to throw a ball in. So I think the official rule is any throw in longer than eight seconds, the referee gives a yellow card.
0: Which has never been
1: enforced. No. And so yeah, I you know, and you know, make fun of all the players and my fantasy team's been suffering a little bit. Um, <laughs> might have to fix the strategy with the full backs and go to the center backs, but watching the Crystal Palace Arsenal game. Crystal Palace, and I, I found this on um, this stat, they had three throw-ins in the second half, and the average time for each throw-in was 41 seconds. And, really? Yes. And Arsenal, Tomiyasu had a throw-in that was 13 seconds where the referee ushered him to throw the ball, in. the second one was 6.5 seconds, and he got a yellow card for that. And that ultimately means nothing in the moment until you... You pick up the second one for a cynical foul, yeah. which again, you know, I know it's the home field and I'm going to sound like an Arsenal fan, but, um, are you a little bit, but oh, I think okay. it was a little bit Good of enough. a dive from Jordan. Idu, but he's a underrated player and in, in my book, so won't hold it against, won't hold it against him. But yeah, I can't imagine there's going to be a lot of controversy this season. If the referees, um, stick to that tactic, And of enforcing the rule, which, you know, I think it's going to be overturned before the season's over.
0: Like a lot of the change they're trying to drive well-intended, right? I think they just overcorrect these first few weeks. It's kind of like the only the captain can talk to the referee, which has probably always been a rule. And now they're finally getting onto it. But then you end up having Bruno Fernandes as captain at United and he's just whining every five seconds. By the way, Although they got stomped
1: by Tottenham this week, he had a Rabona cross that was phenomenal. I don't know if you saw it. Listeners, go look at the clip. Rabona cross on a plate. And uh, I forgot who the striker at the time up top was, but they missed the goal on the header. But it was probably one of the best bits of skill in the EPL this weekend.
0: Uh, re- hearkening back to a player, the streets will never forget who made the Rabona his touch of class. Do you remember who I'm talking about? Charisma, Ricardo Quaresma, exactly. What a legend! Teardrop tattoo says it all,
1: yeah, it says it all. And I think we, we'll, we'll get to it later. But we had a
0: listener in the mailbag name drop Charisma as
1: well, yeah,
0: big time, big time. Streets will never forget. And the other thing, Roy, the streets will never forget. I spent Big part of my Sunday, watching the final of the Women's World Cup, after having watched most of the knockout stages of the tournament, being fully enthralled, I enjoyed it so much. I'm actually quite sad it's not around anymore because it was such a refreshing type of football to watch. Everything from the tactics to things like the level of sportsmanship, uh, how the referees were handled, etc. I really, uh, really enjoyed it. Super refreshing that Women's World Cup. Fully agree. Only downside, I think, for me
1: and my experience in watching the final was I was at a wedding the night before, and I woke up for the second half not in the clearest of mindsets to watch, but still very enjoyable. I watched several of the games. Unfortunately, most of the games were you know, 3 a.m. my time, 5 a.m., but any game that started at 6 or 5, I made sure to catch the second half or the games that in the beginning of the stages Mm -hmm. starting at 9 p.m., um, they were very enjoyable, and I have to reiterate a lot of the sentiment that you had on the Women's World Cup. I think there's some differences in how the, obviously the men's games played versus the women's, but yeah. in general, I think the the approach and the technical level of the the women's team. You know, some of the teams for the men, it's all based on pure athleticism. Yeah, um, physicality. Shout out, the, shout out the U.S. Men's National Team. We'll see how far that gets you, but. That being said, I, I did enjoy one of the aspects where the referee, everyone can hear the the thoughts of the ref when they're making a decision, yeah. penalty, no uh, yellow card, upgrading to a red card. I think that's something that's going to stay in the game and move, make its way to the bigger leagues. Um, I know France men's football has been doing something to that to that nature as well, but to see it happen in a World Cup was phenomenal.
0: Yeah, I think it's a no-brainer. It's, they've been doing it in the NFL for 20 years or something, right? So I think it's definitely be adopted. It drives accountability on all sides. Uh, so that was actually one of the, maybe one of the few moves uh, FIFA and uh, and your man Gianni Infantino, who I swear if I have to see him handing out medals at one more medals ceremony, I'm out, uh, was probably one of the few things uh, he got right, actually, in terms of uh, football governance in the last few years. I'm
1: not. I'm not even going to give him the credit for that. I think he was coerced and tricked by somebody into doing that. Um, I give him, yeah, no credit for anything. He's a real life villain, and we can probably spend a whole podcast talking about
0: how corrupt he is. Um, and puts big on a face, yeah, big time. The the other aspect, you know, sticking to the positives of the women's World Cup, which in this case is equal the the polar differences with the men's. You mentioned time wasting earlier and how it's being punished this year in the Premier League. Very little time wasting from the women. Very little rolling around when they get fouled. Oftentimes, they're actually trying to play on and and get that advantage. Right? It's just again, I know I've used the word already, but totally refreshing to uh, to see that the game played the way it should be. You know, you if you're having kids nowadays uh, and and you want to set an example, you'd rather show them that then show them you know all out in round 33 of the Premier League or city. Yeah,
1: and I think just to add to that, the the level of physicality in the game was kind of shocking to me in terms of the mm. the tackles, some of the specifically some of those holding midfielders they go into brutal. They are some crunching tackles and you know, you could hear through the TV at least on my on my service streaming service the fans and the the audiences, you know, really getting into it and there's no diving like you said time wasting um just overall very enjoyable in terms of the build-up play specifically there's so many intricate passes that go that go on in the midfield where you know maybe in the men's game you can put that long ball to the the pacey wingers over you know get rid of the midfield game completely but it was really Enjoyable to see kind of the build up and the chances created. Um, yeah, can't say enough about it.
0: No, exactly. And I think actually, Spain's winning goal, uh, with that overlap on the left was just textbook, right? And Switching inside the finish, unreal like just pinged it into that corner. Uh, really, uh, really amazing scenes. And, uh, and would love to see more of it. Would also love to see more tournaments also on the men's side hosted by countries that actually care that are great sporting nations like australia and new zealand in this case that was also something quite different from what we saw in december at the at the men's world Cup.
1: yeah authentic fans that's that always <laughs> makes for a better experience i think instead of paying people a ton of money to come um, i know there was a lot being said about the qatar world cup um coming from from lebanon all the news and in Beirut at the time, mm. they were paying people to go and become fans, um, of other clubs in Qatar. So lovely. I'm sure a lot of Middle Eastern countries, they had people as well, like, yeah, hey, I'm going to go watch a couple of football matches, but I'm also now going to go and support, you know, X, Y, Z team. So having those authentic fans there. And then I, I did see on Reuters magazine when they were recapping the women's world cup the total attendance do you have a estimate of all the matches how many people watched
0: you know games and stadiums like per match or absolute for the whole total absolute i'm gonna go with let's say like forty thousand on average times what is it how many matches 64 64. matches uh 2.5 mil Well, a little less than that,
1: but it's 1.98 million total attendance. That's still Um, pretty freaking impressive. Average attendance was 31,000. So, to put that in perspective, the 2019 Women's World Cup in France averaged about 21,000. And you've got to think Mm. if you're thinking about four years ago only. Yeah, only four years. That's what I'm saying. Four years ago, probably a harder location in terms of Australia and New Zealand to get to for the, the average traveler versus mm-hmm. a European based venue, which was France right. was. And then if you're also taking it to the, an, a step further, France, you've got to think is probably one of the most crazy to say for, for women's football, kind of a forward thinking country and how they, in terms of pay their players. So, you know, you have Olympically Lyon, the, the women's team, they have several players that are making, um, you know, nothing Relative to the men's team, but about five hundred thousand euro pounds, whatever you want to say, right. a year, which yeah. is crazy compared to some of the other leagues. Um, but that just in general, the average attendance going up, you know, thirty three percent or so in just one World Cup. I I can't imagine what it's going to be for the next World Cup.
0: I can't wait. I can't wait. And speaking of average attendances, uh, that actually kind of dwarfs. I think the average attendances in Serie A, a league that this year, Roy, has a symbol. The emblem of the league has the Serie A like badge, right? And underneath, okay. underneath the badge, which says Serie A, they've inserted "Made in Italy." In case any of us were wondering, what type of government currently runs that country? Uh, "Made in Italy," the Italian Serie A.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. I think it's very authentic to put it there. I, you know, I wasn't sure where Roma was you know where they were based or where they were made right. but
0: um, now that I know it's in Italy I'm I'm locked in yeah exactly that really sells it so that was one of the like big observations I had another thing I noticed while watching uh Milan beat Bologna 2-0 uh on Monday before a sleepy actually during a sleepy second half because they just kind of locked down um uh, my brother was texting me uh from where he was watching the match and he's like look at the look at the sponsors on the edge Uh, And the one that really stuck out to me was, uh, I think his name was Dr. Yisin, which provides hair transplants in Turkey. That was one of the lead sponsors in the stadium in Bologna that appeared on the TV every 45 seconds or so. I mean, that's just brilliant. And you've got to think,
1: probably not a lot of money coming out of the doctor with hair transplants, although... You know, maybe we've talked about it in the past. Hair transplants is a very lucrative
0: business. Booming. I, think... I mean, he's doing well enough to advertise in Italy, in Bologna. Fact check me here, but <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll
1: talk about it later. But every hair follicle you're getting costs about 1500 to $2,000. So he's a booming business. And I'm sure there's a lot of Italian men out there with some receding hairlines in there. What are you trying uh, to say? This is I'm an audio medium. This is, a, this this is, is an, an audio, audio medium. medium
0: for a reason. Show some respect. No. Unbelievable. Respect. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, so yeah, that's that's another thing I noticed. Then I mean the biggest thing that's that sticks out, Roy, is podcast listeners, you'll empathize. Put this podcast up to 1.4 speed if you can. Okay, you've done that, good. Now put it down to 0.6. You notice the difference? That's the difference in speed between the English Premier League and the Italian Serie A matches.
1: Brilliant. And I've gotta say the same. When we when I'm watching games on the weekends, the, the Serie A matches are a little later than the most of the Premier League matches. Yeah. And in the winter specifically, there's not much to do. So I'll turn it on and watch. And I'm not sure if it's the commentators the energy in the stadium which does translate through the TV. If there's a packed stadium even if the football is atrocious, you still are are kind of locked in and and ready to watch but the camera angles, how far away they are from the pitch, it's it's really tough. Some of the matches unless it's a head-to-head or a rivalry match, um it is a slower league, but with that you would assume that the defense is The Italian stereotype of being, like, Mm -hmm. rock solid at the back, um, which I did not see in this week. And my underrated performer, or the flowers for this week, was Antonio Candreva. Candreva. Oh, throwback, yeah. The Eternal, as they called him, um, in his match against Roma. And his two goals were phenomenal. Listeners, if you haven't seen them. Yeah. I mean, the second goal was just beauty. The ball came across, trapped it, one touch, hit it with the left, uh, like, in the side net. Just fantastic. But what I've got to just look at a little more, the defense was awful. I mean, just terrible. And both goals, (laughs) the line, if you look at it, the back line was not, you know, your basic back line has to be straight. They were all over the place, which allowed him to to receive the ball in the first place. Yeah. And then the defender doesn't close down. He's on his heels versus, I think, a 34-year-old, Antonio Candreva, who's able to quickly turn
0: and shoot. Um, Touch a class. That might be due, the defense of Shambles might be due to the fact that Mourinho and his entire staff are suspended for, I believe, the first three matches of the season. They're not even allowed in the stadium. I mean,
1: still no excuse. I can go out there with three three of my friends and put a at least a back line that's intact somewhat but not to take away from from the goal. Um another another game or another game I wanted to talk about was uh the Lazio draw versus Lecce. And I'm not even sure on a map where where they are. So you can let me know there, Nick. Well, but
0: well Lazio's across the street from Roma. Same stadium. Yeah right? okay I know that yeah. but <laughs> Lecce is the heel of the boot. Heel of the boot and I would have assumed
1: that they would have gotten stomped from the bottom of a boot um against <laughs> oh, Lazio just in general um with my favorite striker from the 2013
0: still FIFA Immobile good pronunciation but no they
1: were terrible they were absolutely terrible and the fact that they 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 lost Lazio lost at home to this team was Embarrassing, and I think they lost their their main midfield linchpin to Saudi Arabia this year, Lazio. But yeah, Milinkovic it just show, Yeah, it just goes to show. Um, you know, never count the the small guy out. And I will say, the boot. get his name wrong, but the the second goal from the Lecce player who scored, uh, Almquist, or I'm not sure. We'll we'll put a, a name drop later, but. His run to receive yeah, Almquist. His, his run yep. Almquist. I'm not sure if he's a very young player or not, but he that goal itself speaks to somebody that is gonna go somewhere um maybe a little a little more intense or better better than where he's at right now. The run to just start off the play, past the pass he made, continues his run top of the eighteen. Again, really Really poor defense, but to f- the finish as well, it was something that you can put a YouTube highlight together, and you know, somebody's going to pay a lot of money for that player yeah. in a season or two.
0: Pontus Almquist, Swedish, one to watch, uh, from Roy Seichli again, one to watch, but he yeah. might
1: be like 30, so he's 24. Okay, so he's 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 got some time, he's got some time to develop. That's another thing that. You know, 24 is still very young, I think, in a footballer's career. Where nowadays, um, nowadays, but the American, in the American equivalent with other sports as well, 24 and you're not at your prime, then you're a washed player, or you're never going to be anything, um, right? In right.
0: other sports, so one to watch there. That's good stuff. And against a Chelsea fans will remember Maurizio Sarri coach team. Uh, in Lazio, who finished second last season. So let's see what they come up with this year. Sorry, ball. Sorry, One thing Before
1: we, we, you just jog my memory a little bit when you're talking yeah. about advertisements and whatnot. Um, I wanted to go back to the Women's World Cup for listeners who, you know, maybe last World Cup you saw some news around the, the women's team, the U.S. women's team who won the, yeah. the World Cup and Rapino and the whole gang making a, uh, the call for fair fair pay versus mm-hmm. the the men's team who do you know they're not great um, by any means and they made significantly more money for exiting the last World Cup relative to what the, the U.S. team won so I'm not I don't want to get too much into it but I want to speak on some of the this year the Spanish team uh, Nick how much do you think for winning the World Cup the Spanish team the prize pool was?
0: Per player? Total. For the whole team. Nah, man. It's... I mean, already for national teams, prize pool for national teams, men, I think is not very high from Spanish, Italian federations, etc. I'm going to say... 250,000 euros. Wow.
1: So they got 4.29 million. Okay. Out of the total prize pool of 110 million. Whoa, so about- whoa. The winner got 4 out of 110? 4%, 4%. 3.9 actually, but 4% for winning everything. Get out. Um, which is, when I did the math, I, I thought that was kind of, that's not right. It's, I know you're playing for your country, but you also won the whole thing. Right. I don't think anybody signs up for any kind of league and winner gets, you just say winner gets all, winner gets you know 70%, not winner right. gets 4%. So then I did a little more digging on the men's world cup and you know, shocker, (laughs) the the total prize for the men's world cup was four hundred and forty million. So take that versus the one hundred and ten million. They can
0: reinvigorate the entire Argentinian economy with it. Well, hey,
1: they the Argentinian team got forty two million. So I assume about forty one went personally to Lionel Messi and then the one million was sent to everybody else um <laughs> but that coins. was that was about nine and a half percent of the total which still seems low but maybe a little more fair than um you know i'm not going to single out any of the women's national teams but the vietnam team was atrocious to
0: yeah i to think that, that was the difficult thing for me was at that group stage And it's the same thing that's going to happen at the next World Cup for the men's with too many teams participating and the level in the women's game, for example, in this case, there were not 32 elite teams. And we're going to have that in the next World Cup for the men's where they expand to 48 teams. But there are not 48 elite teams that I genuinely want to watch three times every day for a month.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think just in general, the grassroots in each nation it takes a long time to build up the coaches, the infrastructure to put a team out that can maybe surprise on the World Cup. Like what mm-hmm. we saw with Morocco, the Moroccan men's team this year. Yeah. Um, your your favorite.
0: My boys. Your favorite
1: team. That was not an overnight success, but more so a lot of planning, I think, from, um, I don't want to get it wrong, but the president of their, their country putting together... A huge investment i think it was something like 50 million dollars to promote the sport um and that was nine years ago and you can see where some of those players coming through are probably a direct result men's and women's team of that kind of investment and you're gonna have to have that across all the teams to make it a competitive competitive spectacle
0: these are generational things right they're And not just in terms of the the generational talents you get, a la la Belgium, but when you look, for example, at Germany winning that 2014 World Cup, they did very deliberate things 20 years before in terms of reinventing how they developed uh, youth football, and then you saw it uh, play out there. So uh, you you got to play the long game with it, that's for sure. And speaking of playing the long game, Roy, were there any other flowers you wanted to give out from the weekend? from the weekend no i think that was that was it good well i think you should give flowers to the most handsome man in football olivier giroud yeah we were talking about it and you asked
1: me your my thoughts on giroud good footballer he can score some goals but there was a period at arsenal where he could not put the ball in the back of the net for 13 games straight and it cost us a run at the title the season Leicester City won it all. But aside from that, <laughs> congrats to him on so far, uh, you know, seems to be ageless. He's what, 36,
0: 37 at this time, at this point? I'd argue, apart from maybe losing some speed, that physically he's in better shape now than 10 years ago. It's a bit of the, what Ibra did. Well, he never had any speed to begin with. So,
1: and I, I'm going to stand by that. He never had Brutal. any speed.
0: No, Wait, pro- you know, that's, that's true. score a goal. Yeah, and that's what they pay him for. And, Roy, what they pay us for is to take a break now and then come back and present our main segment. Listeners, welcome back to Hossman FC. Now heading into our core segment for the day. I was sitting on the couch the other day and Roy sent me a text with a list a list of a hundred football players compiled in 2001 by 442 and Don Balon detailing the best young players in the world at the time. And it makes for intriguing reading now that almost all of these players' careers are over. Uh, some of them recently, like Zlatan Ibrahimovic, others uh, a lot earlier. Uh, but really cool to to look at some of these names uh, and very nostalgic. Roy, what did you think overall about it?
1: Yeah, the first thing that strikes strikes me is they have Kaká as, I think, in the 90s of players 95th. to watch. 95th. 95th, but also, I think out of the list of 100, there were probably 20 to 25 names where you think, wow, that was a very talented player. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of players that were maybe overhyped and like under-promised or under-delivered but still the top 10 and I don't know if we want to go through it now or later the top 10 are mainly players where you think yeah these guys had a really good career Um, and then you have some like like you just mentioned Zlatan being 35 on the on the list is kind of like wow it just goes to show you can't really tell somebody's potential under the age of when they're when they're under the age of 21 or 20 but some of these players had incredible careers and I think a few of them would have been even better in today's today's game
0: yeah and I think that's what we're going to get to discussing because we both compiled lists and but I think you know on your point there it's like maybe to an extent at the time in terms of talent and potential the 34 guys ahead of Slatan or the 94 guys ahead of Ricky Kaká may have shown more potential, but the difference over making a career is also down to the details and the discipline, etc., right? And I think that's that's what you really see there. Um, but, Roy, we've both put lists of players we want to discuss and then leading to, you know, kind of also the ultimate thought of would they have been better or worse today or would they even have been pro today for some of them. Uh, do you want to start with your first it is the player that
1: everybody was thinking about when they saw this list. I know you were; you're a huge fan of Gareth Barry, oh, number thirty-one. Uh, Gareth I- Barry,
0: idol, still have his poster up in uh, in me and my wife's bedroom. Yeah, of course. So i
1: I don't know why it stuck stuck out to me. Um, Gareth Barry, obviously, I saw him when I first started watching the Premier League, and then he stayed there. Year after year after year, and he was on every game. Um, so everybody who knows or doesn't know, he, he this 442 article has him as a left back for Aston Villa. Did you ever, when you when I said the name, did you think that's a promising left back? No, I remember Barry, I do remember him at Villa, but by then already, I think, as a holding midfielder, exactly. I would have him as holding midfielder to the point where tra- even transfer market. Only has him as a CDM, um, as the (laughs) midfielder there. His whole career. His whole career. Not a left back, promising left back. I'm sure there was some kind of injury in the middle and they said, hey, this guy, he can just slide here for a little bit and then we'll move him back out wide. But um, the things that stick out to me, obviously, are the engine that he had, then just tenacity and consistency every game of probably putting in a six out of 10, a seven out of 10. You're not going to get, you know, him be a world beater, but the the consistency over a period of time. And do you know how many games he played in the English Premier League?
0: It must be upwards of 650, 700? 653. There you go. That's like a solid 15 years of just being there every day, right? Every day, available every game. Um,
1: and one of the things that really stuck out to me in terms of his playing style because obviously I'm not watching every game week in, week out. Out of 653 games, he's only had two red cards. Wow. Two red cards. And so you say, oh, well, maybe he just doesn't go in for tackles or whatnot. 155 yellow cards out of his 653 games. So that is somebody who is tactically incredible. He knows exactly what he's going to do and what he can get away with. Mm -hmm. And for me, that just speaks to, you know, the game has changed since when he was playing to now. There's so much more little fouls that go on now that go unpunished. He could probably get away with murder with the intelligence that he has. But not only that, the consistency where you can build your team and have him as a core part of your of your midfield, he could pass, he could tackle probably a little flexible with the. The defensive mid, the left back flexibility there, and all these teams that have new systems and kind of the fluid formation. But um to have him at I think number thirty one, left back Aston Villa, he made a great career. Over fifty caps for England. He could score some goals here and there. Um, you know, yeah. Every ten I- games he'll score a goal essentially. Sixty
0: seven goals and six hundred and fifty appearances. So yeah. Not bad. And he had over fifty caps for England, and he was one of the first, if you remember, players to join the newly Abu Dhabi-owned at the time, Man City, uh, to uh, to Manchester City to bridge Manchester the gap. Uh, to bridge to the bridge gap, the gap as a
1: as a professional, I think, to a cl- a team that needed consistency to get to the next stage of their evolution, that's a player that you bring in to just fill in the gaps bring the professionalism, and he also won a title. So he was Probably just
0: underappreciated, too, in, in that context, right, where you had so much flash around him, whether it would be Yaya or even Super Mario, El Kun, whatever, right? So because when I think of Gareth Barry, I think of an incredibly bland vanilla player. Exactly. I think everybody thinks that. But also, if you're thinking
1: about a player in the Premier League today that does probably the same thing, maybe to, you know, I'm just using the Manchester city. It's kind of a, a Rodri type. Yeah. Very bland. He comes up with a big goal. He's there. He's very consistent. He can, he has an engine. He runs everywhere. It covers the space, can get a goal infuriates the other team. Um, that might be my personal feelings there, but you, every team needs one of those players and it's the job that nobody wants, but he did it and he did it very well.
0: Yeah. Only retired, uh, two seasons ago but Roy today better or worse and would he make the city team oh better or worse I think in today's game
1: he would be better better because that's a dying breed of a player um Mm. more needed more needed every team needs it um not every team has it or they try having a player they move it around it doesn't Mm. work so I think it'd be better um Especially with the game somehow turning from the classic four-two-three-one, and it's now morphing back to a overgeneralized four-four-two. Right, um, right. It's maybe turning to like three-four-three three at times, but you need somebody to, if you want to put on the extra attacker, that can stay back and maybe do the the mix of you know left center back to midfield as well. But who's not going to lose their positional shape? I think that's something that every team will take today and maybe it was underappreciated probably as recent as five, six years ago.
0: Um, So yeah, I think he'd be better today. All right. What a shout. Gareth Barry, first one from your list. Now I have one Roy that to an extent I think is dear to both of our hearts because we both grew up uh, watching him play or at least seeing him on the covers of various Sports Illustrated magazines when you know probably more covers than uh than cristiano and Messi in the u s landon donovan landy cakes landy cakes who super interesting uh career trajectory he had i remember he was considered the fur he was the golden boy he was the generational talent of that u s team that made the run in the two thousand two world cup and that then was hyped up uh coming into the two thousand six and two thousand ten world cups and he He got a lot of publicity. He tried doing it in Europe a couple of times. I mean, on this list, uh, Landon is ranked number 56 at the time he was on the San Jose Earthquakes. Um, And let's not forget, he actually, from IMG Academy, he went to uh, the youth of uh, Bayer Leverkusen, who at the time was being baptized Bayer Nevekusen because they lost three finals in about a week in 2001. Uh, and it just didn't crack for him. He came back to the U.S. Every now and then he would go on loan spells, you remember, to to Everton and the like, take a few corner kicks uh, wow. and then come back. There was all the drama, I remember, with Bex when Bex came over to the Galaxy and he took his captain's armband and they went back and forth on that. But I think he's the type of player where had he been there today and been allowed the type of trajectory that a Christian Pulisic has had, for example where he comes to Europe slightly earlier and they stick with him through it, I think he had all the talent to have a career in Europe for a solid 10 years at least.
1: I'd agree with that. And I think there's some players or moments in time where what they do changes everybody's perception of the player, specifically in the States. His goal against Algeria in the World Cup was... I remember where I was at when I was watching that with my friends in 2010. It was the shot heard around the world, essentially, as what this. I think it was a Sports Illustrated article. Around saying the that. states, for sure. Yeah, um, but you know, it's America. We got to say the world. Everybody exactly. is on 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 watch for it.
0: Everybody's a world champion after winning the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, and you know the LA Galaxy legend. Um, when I was first coming up playing, my my uncle out in California, I had a banner in my room which is la galaxy donovan uh little little banner there so it was kind of like if you want to be good at soccer like look up to this guy in the states um and i think he was he was talented the teams he were he was on with the men's team um and then the la galaxy obviously you're not going to have that talent so they would ship him off to lovely everton every january for a loan spell right um i think it was i'm you know, you can probably fact check me here, but they were almost the emergency loan spells where he would play until the new MLS season started and then he would he would kind of leave and yeah, like show in March the, already or something. Yeah, and he would show up already in top shape for the MLS season and just start running running a show there. There's been some early rumors, probably not gonna happen, but of Lionel Messi gonna do the same thing with a with a loan for a month to Barcelona. Um, let's see if that happens in January but going back to Donovan yeah I think good player I would say he would probably work pretty well in today's um, day and age especially now that the I want to say a stigma but how people perceive American players has changed a little bit I think think that must
0: have been a big part of it too
1: it has to be and I think he kind of spearheaded that right yeah he he made it so that it was like okay and almost cool to go across seas and play in other leagues. Um, even though that, you know, you're probably the most marketable person in sport if you stay in in the States. I will say one thing that goes against them. I'm, I think it was the World Cup recently where he was a pundit and he was saying that Kristen Pulisic should just go back to an MLS team okay. and, be the, and be the man because that's how you advance your career and become a better player. Um, could not be worse advice than that, right? And he's playing AC. Boulot. He scored on his opening opening game, big time. So maybe that's a player that was good in his day, but is now a pundit and should not be a pundit. I know there's plenty of players that have that as well. But aside from that, it's a good shout.
0: But I think actually, I think Pulisic and him, there's a lot of similarities in the position, in the style of play. And uh, maybe Donovan was just homesick. I, I don't know what went wrong that he wanted to stay in L.A. Uh, so long and only have these cheeky loan spells at Everton. Stigma's probably part of it, but probably also, you know, he stayed where he was comfortable. I mean, we're talking about somebody that had 157 caps for the U.S. national team.
1: Yeah. I mean, and all those games, I'm sure it would not be fun to hop across the pond several times a year just to play a match for the, the men's team. If you're already in the States, it's easier to yeah. go down to Mexico, Costa Rica, versus Everton to any of those locations. Um, yeah. So that could be a part of it too. We don't know, but it would have been nice to see him in in the European leagues a little longer.
0: Yeah, he was probably just a- ahead of the curve in terms of the the development of U.S. soccer, but then again, he he played a massive role in that development. So Landon... You know, if you want to come onto the pod and, and tell us the behind the scenes, I recently watched one with uh, Freddie Adu, actually. Remember Freddie Adu? Well, he wasn't on this list, but uh, he came, well, because he was probably only 11 uh, at the time of the publishing of this. But uh, yeah, Roy, who's next on yours? So this is for a shout out
1: to your wife and her family. <laughs> on the list, I have Niko Krenshaar from Croatia. Yes, midfielder at Spurs. Yes. Um before that, though, and I, this is one of the players, I remember reading an article, uh, must have been almost 10 years ago when he was turning, I think 30, and it was, you know, what has happened to the beautiful legend of Miko Crenshaw? Yeah. And before he got to Spurs, we won't hold that against him, but he had all the talent. So, you know, the Croatian national team, they were going to build around him. It wasn't Modric and Rakitic. They thought he was the most naturally gifted and talented player so you have a 17 year old coming to the scene at i think it was dinamo zagra where he has the talent the raw talent everybody sees it the ultras there are like worshiping him not only that but he has the birthright his dad was a club legend and was Mm -hmm. the coach of the croatian national team yeah um and he had the flair and the the capability to play across all three of the positions, the wings, the attacking midfielder, some of the striker. So you have all these ingredients, and around the same time as Modric, who's still playing, obviously the, a lot of the Croatian team somehow has those genes where they're playing well into their you know, later 30s, which is incredible. Machines. Um, yeah, machines, absolute machines. So you have all of this, but he never lived up to... The potential if you remember he he played with Portsmouth mm-hmm. and the Harry Redknapp team for won
0: an FA Cup right
1: yeah what well, with uh with uh yeah he did but he also Harry Redknapp with the Spurs but he seemed to be unlocked by Harry Redknapp in his career to the <laughs> point where his career went off the rails he would just go to where Harry Redknapp was coaching so that 2011 season I think with the QPR madness, which was the first foray into what probably is the same as what Todd Bowley is doing at Chelsea today of spending a ton of money on players that were either aged or big names with not performing at the, at their potential. He was that guy to cut. he came to QPR didn't play. um, So doing a little more digging on, you know, looking at the highlights, you're like, man, this guy was so talented. What, what went wrong? In his whole career, he only played, and this is, this is also talking about his hometown games, he only played 302 matches. Oh, wow. So put that against Gareth Barry, who played 653, or most of these players on the list played around 450, 460, and I was like, oh, he must have been injured. Um, that, according to some of these soccer sites, is not completely accurate he had some problems with his weight and his pace fell off a cliff accordingly. So all these times he would be injured, there is the rumor that it wasn't an injury. He was just overweight and could not shake the weight off and he just lost his pace. So all this natural skill and talent that he had, it wasn't that he was becoming injured. He lost all the pace that you need to play at the highest level. And I know there's players like we talked about earlier, Giroud didn't have pace like this guy could not run kind of pace. And if you're playing as a, as a flare winger and you can't beat your man after you, you do a move, you create the space. I think at, in the premier league where he wanted to be, it makes it very tough to, to establish yourself, especially in, at the game at that time. And that goes to the next point. I think for all the natural talent he has, he would be terrible in today's, in today's game unless maybe he's playing for a team
0: in the Syria <laughs> little shot there Nico krancha yeah I mean and again that was also like already a good Croatia team that had the that run it I think it was Euro 04 where they went uh, where they went quite deep and then they started to have the modrics and stuff coming in yeah I mean again like you've you've picked two uh, with with Barry and now Nico Kranja, which I, I would categorize as quite boring players. But Nico Crenshaw, I don't think he was a boring player. You just don't see enough
1: of it. That, that must you know, be it, right? Yeah. I remember watching him a few times, and he did have a lot of skill. He had a couple of, I I, I put it up there as like almost wonder goals, but it's like mm. you never can live up to the hype that you have when you're a young player. And I think he fell victim to that to the point where he may have been like a, um, one of the labeled young players because you never see him, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, he's – He's 28, like, we've never seen him play. So, yeah. Um,
0: yeah. That's a good shout. I think I always confused him at the time with the other uh, Croatian guy at Spurs, Chorlunka. Or Chorluka, the guy who Flamini yeah, yeah, yeah. broke the leg of in the in, in Champions League. Um, yeah, anyways, I'll tell you who I definitely did not confuse him with, and that's, the number one on this list in 2001, who they said was the best, going to be the best young player in the world. And I actually could stand by this if I'm time traveling to 2001 and making this list, Gibril Cissé. I mean, tell us why, because I don't agree. I will. Okay. Apart from the fact that I went back and watched some Cissé highlights and they were absolutely riveting, this guy at the time And all the way up to the leg break with Liverpool had all the tools. He had the speed. He could finish from inside of the box as a poacher. He's got goals from outside of it. He's good in the air. Like, I just, he was, I think, a striker that actually could have been even more relevant to today's game. And when you look at some of those highlights, what you'll notice as well is the movement off the ball. And his size is actually quite reminiscent of how Holland moves today. Now, I'm wow. not saying that's what Holland studied. Probably <laughs> not. But Gibril Cissé, like, the streets will never forget, certainly. But also, if you look at his numbers, I mean, solid those six years at Auxerre, 70 goals in 128 matches, came to Liverpool, won a Champions League, broke my heart, uh, won uh, an FA Cup and a Super Cup as well. And then the leg break, right? And the leg break sends him off to Marseille, Panathinaikos, Lazio, et cetera but he played until 2021 Roy Gibril, finishing off playing for Panathinaikos Chicago really yeah how about that The a greek fan club in chicago
1: uh wow i did not that's a that's a <laughs> a deep take right there i wouldn't have wouldn't have thought that's where your career that's where your number 1 ends up and a Greek fan club. I wonder if the club is based out of Greektown in Chicago. So it must be uh, right. It's got to be. Definitely
0: not the Polish neighborhood.
1: No, no, no. It's probably in Greektown where the streets they play Greek music on the on the
0: radios on the streets twenty four seven. So I love it. Shout out Greektown, it. and shout out Gibril. I mean, really, I'm I'm a big fan of Gibril. Like when I saw this that he was the number one on this list twenty years ago, I was happy for the guy.
1: I mean, was it like a, almost like a pity, pity happy or just like genuinely like? Obviously, you compared him to some
0: of what Holland gives you right now. Yeah. I think he was like a genuinely fun and sick player to watch. And unfortunately, I mean, so it didn't strong. work out for him. And he was super strong. He was so strong. I mean, yeah, I, I
1: think I have to agree. He would obviously be able to to do some do some work in the league this this year
0: definitely and i think that type of injury which he had i don't encourage anybody to go and and watch that leg break but that was one of the first like break in half leg breaks we saw on live tv and that'll do something to your mobility and your career if you're a striker
1: yeah physically and mentally as well so brutal that's brutal. probably the hardest part to come up uh maybe the hardest part to come back from the mental aspect of it, once you're fully healed, um, tons of players that never got back to the level they were at because mentally they could not give the the extra one percent in a tackle and a run to to take them to where they had to be.
0: And that's what I what I looked up, I was like, Yeah, what went wrong with Jiburi, right? Because your first conclusion, like when he's that much of a talent, you think of the Anal Kaz of the world and stuff, and like, okay, did he just you know, not care so much or not have the discipline of a slot and et cetera of other players in this list. And it seems actually he was quite unlucky with that leg break. And then he went on to just kind of enjoy his football uh, from there on out. There was not much drama around Gibert. Yeah, I've got to say
1: probably when you ha- suffer a serious injury in your career, which is already short enough, let's say the best players, their careers in their like 10 years, maybe. Mm-hmm of purely like you get to play week in, week out, 10 years, a, an injury like that, that's 10% of your career gone. If you're very dedicated to come back, but then there's coming back. And then there's coming back to your normal self. A lot of these players, you know, your Ronaldo, for example, mm-hmm. you, you have these injuries, it, it takes a mental tenacity to come back and be what everybody expects you to be the same player. Um, so I'll, I'll give you the shout there. That's It's a decent number one. So I went with somebody outside the top 10 for a, a person that I just loved watching in Champions League. And it was because he was everywhere as a right back. You'll hate him. You'll know who I'm talking about, Mike Kahn.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you picked uh, Kivu on the left last week and Arturo Simeone 11, and now you're, you're doing this to me. So I wanted to even, like, for,
1: for listeners who who don't know who he is, and you know Danny Alves, I think there is a period <clears throat> where he was the best right-back by Khan in the world for three seasons between maybe 2009 and nine and eleven. Yes. He was so consistent. He had the engine to run up and down like an animal for 90 minutes. He was fast as you can Believe. There's some players right backs now that are, you know, pacey. He was probably one of the fastest outside backs in the world. And not only that, he could get down and he could score the goals. He'll give the assist. He had a great cross on him, and he won what the Champions League. He won yeah. the Syria several times. Brazilian player. um He started th- on
0: Brazil over Dani Alves actually in the 2010 yes. World
1: Cup. Yes. And I mean, the highs that this guy got to um, was just incredible. So much so that when he was near, nearing the end of his prime, where did he end up when he left Inter? Well, he went to City and Roma, no? Yeah, he went to City and part of the project. He joined his friend, Gareth Berry, <laughs> the next <laughs> season. Um, I'm sure they that,
0: spoke the same language.
1: Yeah, that project lasted. One season, then he went to Roma, had a decent three, four years, um, and then started hopping around clubs in Brazil. So I think that was his way of... Actually, that's not true. He, he made a, a step back to Sona in
0: Italy. I'm not sure if you've heard of that club. No, I have not, actually. I was not aware of this. And tre penne, which means <laughs> three pins. Uh, a, a club from San Marino, actually. Wonderful. So I think he'd been retired since about
1: 2018, but decided he's just going to show up and play. And he's probably had the athleticism where he could do it when he's probably a normal person should not be playing professional football. So explosive. So So explosive. explosive. But I think that was also part of the downfall, right? Yeah. As a player that was their their identity was in being able to go at a hundred miles per hour yeah um a hundred percent all the time, you can't have a longevity like the longevity of your career. you know, father time will catch up with you and you have to be able to re reinvent yourself, um, which you know, I'm not sure he was able to do, but when he was at the top, he was truly at the top and was, you know, like you said,
0: making players like Danny Alves take the back seat. Yeah, definitely I mean Pep would have probably turned him into a holding midfielder if he took him towards the end of his career and probably made it work (laughs) Uh, yeah scary thought but you know why he didn't and that was the murmurings that were always making their way around about Maicon when he was at his peak at Inter and then again when he came back to Roma was that he was a Ronaldinho level partier he loved heading to the club after the matches and probably that's where you see the impact on the longevity of such a such a promising player who also fulfilled his promise. Don't get me wrong, but could he have done an extra four or five years on top if he didn't do that? Maybe. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, still, he played about
1: 468 games, so not, not a bad career, but could have been better. Yeah. But still a player that I think lived it up, like you said, the partying, the flair, everything. He He knew his
0: time was... On the, big, on the big stage was limited and he made the most out of it. Absolutely. And since we're taking, like the conversation is kind of taking this type of bend of, uh, of what could have been and, uh, and lifestyle choices, etc. cetera, uh, I've just adapted my choice. I'm dipping back into the top 10 to the number six at the time who Ajax actually chose to proceed with over Zlatan Ibrahimović uh, a couple seasons later. And that is Rafael von der Waart.
1: Interesting choice. We're circling back on (laughs) the Spurs. Spurs again.
0: (laughs) Um, Okay, but before I get into von der Waart, I went down a rabbit hole of that 2001-2002 Ajax team because I kept seeing some of their players pop up on this list. I'm going to read you a few names from that roster. Christian Kivu, your man. Yeah. Andy van der Maid. Another promising startlet who ended up going to Inter, Slatan Ibrahimovic, Mido, continuing with that Spurs team, the Egyptian striker, Maxwell, Slatan's best friend who joined him at every club, John O'Brien from the United States of America, the defender from the O2 World Cup, Van der Vaart, John Haitinga, who started in oh. the 2010 World Cup, and Steven Pienaar. The South African who ended up at Everton and Spurs also. (laughs) There you go, and uh, Martin Stakelemberg. How about that for like a squad of young players? It's always Ajax. It has to be Ajax. That's that's a pretty
1: pretty well balanced team. You have a few superstars in there as well as hard workers and players that were ended up making a good career. Everyone
0: that you mentioned made a decent career. Yeah, and very interesting. That's a team that actually made it to the semifinals finals of, uh, no, sorry, the quarterfinals of Champions League against AC Milan in 2003 when we went on to win it and they almost pipped us. We had to wait for like a last second, Yondel Thomason stealing a goal from Pippo Inzaghi. Um, anyways, I digress. Back to Rafael Vaart, who at the time, this six makes total sense because he was considered one of the most promising number 10s in the game. And he kept being given the chances. If you remember, he went to Hamburg, Real Madrid. He was at Real Madrid with the other Dutchies, with Robin and Snyder. You remember that? Oh, I Real remember.
1: Team. that was. I, I wanted to make sure I wasn't misthinking that and had a career mode where I had Van der at Real Madrid. But I remember he was there. He was shipped out around the same time, if I'm correct, as they were bringing in the new wave of the... The Ozil, the yeah, the Ronaldo Galacticos Kaka.
0: 2.0, yeah, yep. and he was shipped out to to Spurs, ended up going back to to Hamburg, and then he he was actually in Denmark for a couple of years because I think he mer- his second wife was playing handball uh, in Denmark. So Rafael van der Vaart, at the time, he was considered along that line of the next great Dutch you know, Johan Cruyff or whatever, yep. the way Pelé always nominates his his heir in Brazil, which at one point was Robinho. Um, so Van der Vaart, that is, for me, like the essential player that, you know, he made it to that level. He liked the money. He, he enjoyed that life of the footballer, but didn't really care about becoming the best. Yeah, it's really interesting. Good shout. I yeah. only remember
1: him as having a calf injury seemingly all the time. Um, I think I've seen probably one or two matches where he, he limps off the field with a pulled calf muscle or a strain of some sort. He did not feel like a very robust player, um, but no. very talented. And one of those, again, the first touch creates the space, all he needs, where, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't remember call him being very athletic, No. Very smart, and with the ball, could do what he wanted, and didn't need the speed to, um. To really hit the stride, like I was saying with Nico Crenshaw, he was out wide most of the time. Where you need a little bit of speed, Mendevar uh, came a little through the through the middle, plugged the gaps, maybe a little free roaming, um, but a good shout to to end out some of the, the heavy hitters in this list.
0: Yeah, and I think just for the record, today I don't think he would cut it. Not with that lack of pace, not with that lack of discipline. There's, it's, it's so ruthless now. There's no space for a guy like that. Yeah, no, there's not. There's no. I guess what would you call him a ten? Yeah, Free even roaming? positionally, right? It's like yeah. the whole Ozil discussion nowadays. Uh, is we like, we
1: could we could have a full. Dis- that is a dying breed. You know, it's bad when going to Ozil. He posts that his position is now a dying breed on social media. Um, So if a player is telling you that that's no longer really a thing in the sport anymore, I'm sure it'll come back around in a few years when, you know, everybody's just trying to tactically outclass each other. um, And everybody goes four, four, two and positionless football. But
0: yeah, I, I, I,
1: I don't think he would, he would fit in today's age and, I don't think when he was in the EPL for that stint that he really fit as well then. So it's only gotten more structured and more high octane. So you really got to commit to make it.
0: Yeah, I'm going to let's do one last thing. I'm going to because this list was so good, uh, so nostalgia laden. I'm going to throw some honorable mentions uh, at you uh okay. rapid fire and if you want to say anything about any of them just interject okay I'll do a quick word after every name that if i know them yeah let's do it that way okay okay number 100 alexander kleb fell off a cliff <laughs> three four not words, literally okay. not literally <laughs> um 91 kieran richardson flop 82 Dimitar berbatov world-class first touch
1: um, was it the five goals he had? Was it against QPR? With uh, United, right? With United, he scored five in a game. Um, I think including the cross that he trapped with the quad, bicycle kick. I think it was that game. I was watching at a subway in Pennsylvania, the full game on the TV. <laughs> you're,
0: you're killing the rapid fire aspect of this. Uh, 78, Michael Asien. Very powerful. 42, Joaquin Sanchez, who just retired. Oh. oh, I didn't know he was on the list. I didn't see it there. He must have been before an ad. Okay. <laughs> he was the ad. Uh, 41, Ahmed Mido Hossam. That's all you. I'm not sure. Uh, Yeah, Spurs. Um, <laughs> 35, Slatan. Legend. 30, Jermaine Defoe.
1: I think he would do great and still in the premier league i agree day, yeah goal scorer spurs could use him
0: nah. <laughs> well, like they well i want him to go down him. so it doesn't yeah. matter what they <laughs> what they could use um i think he's actually in their coaching setup like uh in their youth coaching setup. really nice guy too yeah great guy we hang out all the time um 27 alien Robe. oh the left foot just nightmares 24 Ricardo Quaresma. We
1: talked about him, the Ribona, the teardrop, the swagger that he played with.
0: Phenomenal. Amazing. Uh 23 Fabrizio Coloccini. Legend. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, he was he, Sorry. was he was he was
1: decent, decent center back.
0: Yeah, I mean, he wasn't at Milan for five years, and I think always alone. And then he found a home up in Newcastle, as our friend Sando Tonali is the doing. The original now. David Luis. With yeah, the actually. Hair. Yeah. Um, 21, Milan Baros. No clue. Liverpool striker, Czech Republic, or the number five. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why I have no clue. 16, I don't want to say it, Philippe Mixes. Oh. The the almost the goal of the year with AC Milan and the Champions League horrible <laughs> defender, um, horrible defender, yeah, just a horrible professional too, uh, if I can add. <laughs> uh, number five, and you know what? When I saw that he was number five, I was happy for him. Jermaine Pennant, just You're, just just rough. You know what club was in brackets next to his name? Was it Arsenal? It was Arsenal. Yeah. Yeah, he was an Arsenal startlet at the time. Um, number four, Fernando El Niño Torres.
1: I mean, phenomenal.
0: They got that one quite right though. Number Yeah, four. that one was yeah. quite right. I could yeah.
1: when you said his name, I thought of the move, the the elastic just to create space, the elastico, and uh oh, phenomenal striker. And today, if he was playing, have you seen him recently? He's, he's a coach, he's yeah.
0: jacked. I would never want to be on the wrong side of him now. Yeah, well, hopefully he didn't make himself too top heavy and slow himself down because he already wasn't super fast. No, he was fast in the beginning. Was of the it career. before the hamstring injury? Maybe, kind of like injury.
1: You. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Well, that was my nickname around these streets as well, El Nino over here.
0: <laughs> okay, I give you the last one. I don't know right. if you know him. I only knew him because he was. One of the players that you would always buy in FIFA, Andres D'Alessandro. No, don't know him. A River I thought I knew him him and then apparently. I looked up,
1: I saw the picture. I was, I was like, well, I have no idea who this man is. Uh,
0: was uh, the fifth coming of Maradona? Apparently, didn't work out. Uh, D'Alessandro, we wish you the best. Um, All you the know, best. If you're looking for him, he moved to Brazil. Um, so, yes, um, Roy. How about we take a quick break and we come back just with a very rapid fire mailbag. Sounds good. Listeners, welcome back. And before we go here, uh, we've had some of you writing into our mailbag about the Cholo Simeone 11, which we released last week. And uh, coming with your own uh, formations, uh, which has been super cool. Roy, I'm going to read one out to you, all right? Okay, hit me with that. I have not. I've not heard of
1: the mailbag or anything here, so this will be interesting.
0: So this is from Frank, and we encourage more of you to send these in. Uh, as always, lostinpostulation at gmail.com, or you can find us uh, on our socials before we break out the proprietary Hussman FC ones, but uh, you know our interns are on strike at the moment. So here we go from Frank. I thought to use a three-five-two so that it would allow us to have three big-bodied defenders with some technical or physical players in midfield and two contrasting forwards that complement each other. Most importantly, we needed a goalie that is vocal, a leader, and somewhat of an asshole. And so I placed Oliver Kahn in between the posts. (laughs) Brilliant. That's fair. I remember him celebrating in Andy Shevchenko's face after Sheva skied a penalty, uh, which Kahn didn't even save. And we won that match 4-1. So uh, that was a character. Now... In defense, I prioritize size, and so on the right, I put Jerome Boateng. Ooh. Good shout. Isn't he a lefty? Uh, oh. <laughs> he's in the three in the middle. Uh, okay. And on the left, a world-class defender, uh, this is why, that was sneakily very dirty, Giorgio Chiellini. I don't know about sneaky, but yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, but he World smiled class... while doing it.
1: Yeah, yeah. The the Was it the PK shootout?
0: Last oh, World yeah, Cup. We showed the, the Alba. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, didn't, we, don't, we don't do World Cups anymore in Italy. Yeah, that's um, true. It's becoming a theme. Um, attackers would hate playing against them. In the center, I need a defender with more class. that could also distribute the ball. And here comes the great Mexican, Rafa Marquez. That's a great shout. Longevity really as well, if we're talking about. And yeah. class on top of it. I really liked him. He was kind of an old school Libero that could also step up into the, into the middle of midfield. I half expected him to be in this year's World Cup.
1: Uh, <laughs> Again, I think he we played don't show in up. four. Yeah, yeah, four World Cups. So,
0: Great legend. Player. On the wings, I wanted one that was more offensive and skillful with lots of flair and came with Ricardo Quaresma, the man with a teardrop tattoo. But to balance his offense, I need another winger that will defend more and run and run and run. Luckily, we have Yuto Nagatomo come in, a very unassuming player. You remember him? Oh, yeah. You're playing him at left wing back in this formation? Yeah. Well, but I'm then, not. Frank is. Well, Koresma
1: Core, is not tracking back at all. So <laughs> I guess he turns into a 4th fo- we We'll see what the rest of the lineup yeah, exactly. looks like. But I, I like the shout. Uh,
0: Nagatomo is a, a very tenacious player. Is he still in Syria? Uh, don't believe so. No. At least I haven't seen him in a while. Maybe City B. (laughs) Um, (laughs) In my midfield of three, I wanted guys that sit back more, one that is holding, and another box-to-box. My holding midfielder is one of the most intelligent players, in brackets, or foulers, in the game, who will foul 15 times in a game before getting a yellow card. Can Can I guess? Please do. Is it Fernandinho? It is Fernandinho. Let's go. There you go. I don't think you can describe him better than that. Can get away with fifteen fouls before getting a yellow card.
1: Well, yeah, that's
0: true, and I'm
1: surprised. Well, I'm not sure we came before he went to city, um, but Dark Arts Master.
0: Absolutely, Dark Arts Master. Yeah. A- okay. A- accompanying him is a man that will run box the box and add more height to the team with his hair. It's not you, Fellaini, because yeah. M- M- only reason Fellaini. I say that. I'm looking at my
1: sheet of the team I made and I had him as a question mark and I really wanted to make him my second striker, but I, I opted not to, but he he would
0: run a lot and he's got the hair, so. This is a good Simeone team so far. I, I, I could really see them with those uh, red and white stripes. Okay. There, he continues, there is a lot of size and physicality here that will make set pieces lots of fun. Oh. The last midfielder, We need someone more offensive minded, but I need someone who is an asshole. He's, he's really, you know, embodying this and could potentially take set pieces. Here comes Dejan Stankovic, treble winner, 2010. The Mm. hair or lack of hair. I'm, I'm in pain. Just, just reading this Dejan Stankovic. (laughs) What a, what a player, honestly, like what a player, um, Upfront, I wanted a man who played for Atlético and left before Cholo arrived to manage. Ooh. A man that is one of the best strikers of all time, a pacey man, El Kun Agüero. Yeah, well, <laughs> listeners solid. can't see, but I was, I was, I was
1: head nodding. Um, <laughs> great podcast content. Um, great podcast content. I,
0: I love this team so far. I want to see what the the last striker is. We should put this one up against ours and have the listeners vote. I think I like this that. one will win though. Um, no. because he goes no. the cherry on top and the other forward that could pair well with Agüero and be the final asshole. Again, this team needs is the King Eric Cantona. Cantona. Well, I also had him on my team, but I opted out the last second
1: audible because I didn't I thought his personality would not work for a Simeone team. That's a good you, point. He would say no or whatever, but he is an asshole, very talented, and would pair very well with Aguero, I think. Um I, I really like this team. The only thing I don't like is Ricardo Carresma in the squad. Um <laughs> I think we're just using his physical look. <laughs> to put him into the squad but (laughs) he doesn't track back but I say that but right now Yannick Carrasco is the left wing back for the Atletico Madrid team and he's like the pretty boy version of Charisma um, and reinvented himself from a left winger to
0: a left wing back so it it could work it could work and Frank thanks for writing it in Love your team against yours and Roy, thanks for joining again. This has been the second episode of Hossman FC. We're going to keep them coming, unlike Jermaine Penn.